Hi, everyone, and welcome to Do I Still Love It, the podcast that remembers where it was when the O.J. Simpson verdict came down. Uh, I'm your host, Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And every week, we invite a guest over to our house to watch a movie that they loved when they were kids to see whether or not they still love it now that they're grown-ups. And our guest this week is writer Paul Bianchi. Hello, this is me, Paul Bianchi, speaking. <laughs> now, where were you, Marshall and <laughs> oh. Paul? When the OJ, when the OJ Simpson verdict came down, uh, I was in middle school, and we actually they actually stopped classes in the middle of like science class to turn it on the TV. And yeah. I think I was just young enough; I was old enough to know that something serious was happening, but not old enough to know why it really mattered. I was like, "Don't people get killed all the time?" Oh man, really? That's I was like, I totally got it because my I had watched the uh, the car chase. Oh. I had watched, like, the Bronco car chase, and I was in sixth grade, and I was in Mr. Pugh's class. His last name was Pugh, BT-dub. <laughs> one of the French? nicest guys. No, one of the nicest guys I'd ever had a... My his first nicest, name wasn't Pepe? Not Pepe, no. I don't know what his first name was. But I remember, like, I guess at that point I was, like, already pretty jaded because I was just like, of course they didn't find him guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the cafeteria. And uh, I was in elementary school still, so I must have been fifth grade. And uh, my friend Greg Smith brought a uh, radio to school to listen to it at, at lunch. And no one else cared. Everyone else was like, can I just have your peanut butter and honey sandwich, please? For my for the younger listeners of the podcast, a radio is a device <laughs> before cell phones where you could listen to things like podcasts, but they were really called broadcasts. Whoa. So anyway, we've come together tonight to revisit the movie from our childhood, The Chipmunk Adventure, uh, at Paul's at Paul's suggestion. Yeah. Can I tell you how pumped I was when I was told that this was the suggestion for tonight? Really? Like, yes. This also meant a lot to you as a kid? I oh, mean, yeah. I was obsessed with the chipettes. Mm. And this was like, so, they were so equal in how they like moved through space that the chipmunks and the chipettes were like a big deal to me. I felt like Jeanette was a secret hottie. Was she oh, the yeah. Alvin equivalent? No, she was the Simon equivalent. Oh yeah. 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 She, she, was, like, she very much had like a sexy Velma thing going on. Yes, yeah. hundred uh-huh. uh, percent. I, I think, <laughs> I think it probably bears mentioning that, uh, I, as self, as self-professed nerds, I feel like we probably were always attracted to like whoever the nerdy person was in the, given group, because mm-hmm. I definitely was, like, mm-hmm. more of a Velma than a Daphne guy, and I was definitely more of a Jeanette than the other two chipmunks kind of gal. Although I was a I was a Veronica over a Betty guy. Oh. Mm. I was also a Faith over a Buffy guy in terms of... But I think that's, like... So it's, like, bad girls and nerds. I don't know what a crossover <laughs> there is. So so Paul's all the about nerd, the bad girl nerd. The yeah. nerd you can't control. Exactly, yeah. Nice. So uh, for any of the anybody who doesn't remember the Chipmunks movie, Paul, can you give the broad strokes? What's the Chipmunks movie, the Chipmunks adventure about? Oh, man. So I feel like I might be a terrible person to have on this podcast in a way because I watched this movie so much as a kid. Like we went to the uh, video store and we rented the VHS almost every time. And my mom was like, what you've seen it so many times. So I think my memory is too good almost for it. Like I, no, that's great. Um, so in my memory of it, the chipmunks and the chipettes are trying to decide who are the best singing group. And a duo of Nazis uh, overhear them. Yeah, uh, there like, were Nazis in this. Well, movie. they were they were Germans, but they were like scary. evil Germans, evil Germans. With uh, one of them, the, there's a man and a woman, and the woman has like a a pet dog, uh, and uh, so they go. The the evil Germans have to like move crystals or diamonds and like money. And so they're like, yeah, we'll fund a balloon race around the world. I'll uh, pretend like I'm supporting the chipettes. I'll pretend I'm supporting the chipmunks. And they'll go around the world dropping off drug money or <laughs> uh, diamonds. And um, the whoever wins, wins nothing because it's all a sham. And there's also a penguin with like a locket for some reason. So this is a movie <laughs> where the chipmunks... The chipmunks and the chipettes are turned into like 
drug mules in a way? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I didn't remember I d- that. I just remember the balloon rays. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember. I remember that, that it was in dolls. Yeah. Like that dolls meant to look like the chipmunks and the chipettes, respectively. And all, they, all because the probably whoever sang Diamond Dolls was like, oh, cool. We'll, they'll do a cover of this, and then we'll write around why there are dolls with diamonds in them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. The only other thing I really remember that the thing that really stood out for me, there's a I do remember the penguin now that you bring it up. Mm-hmm. I remember the moment when they become aware that they are you know smuggling diamonds cuz they accidentally get one of the dolls ripped open. And the other thing I remember is at one point they do a cover of Wooly Bully uh-huh. while oh, they're about yeah. to get sacrificed by headhunters or something in the in like some tropical land. My memory of it is that it's incredibly racist. Yeah. So, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so this is came out in 1987, um, and it was in the full-on, like, the second launch of the, the Alvin and the Chipmunks. Like, Alvin and the Chipmunks had now had their real Saturday morning cartoon show after a brief show in the 1960s. So Alvin and the Chipmunks is, like, a very popular Saturday morning cartoon show. The cartoon show would go on for three three or four more years after this movie. Mm. So, And was this the only Chipmunks movie of our generation? But it was not, correct? There was cor- another? Uh, I think this was the only one. I'll have oh. to look that. But I'm pretty sure this is the only uh, Chipmunks movie before the gritty <laughs> CGI <laughs> reboot of... So gritty. Um, and... Uh, this this particular this particular like franchise like holds a special place for uh, do I still love it because it was in seeing a billboard for the Alvin and the Chipmunks chipwrecked movie that I turned to Laura and I said you know that movie looks like it has to be garbage uh, full on trash full on trash movie. But there are going to be some kids who are going to watch Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwrecked, and they are going to love it. They are going to force their parents to take them to see it several times. They are going to get the Blu-ray and wear that Blu-ray out. It is going to be their favorite movie from childhood. And I thought, what movies are the Chipwrecks of our generation? What did we force? What garbage did we force our parents to watch? And so far on this show, we found several candidates. <laughs> um, so perhaps tonight we will find another one as we watch. I hope not. Yeah, I, I hope not too, because I, I have fond memories of this well. one. Yeah. I think that the voices of the chipmunks are going to be grating to us in our older age. Oh. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, won't you join us in trying to decide whether or not Alvin and the Chipmunks are actually annoying as we watch 1987's The Chipmunk Adventure. David Seville is going on a trip to Europe, and he's not taking the chipmunks. Please, take me with you, Dave. But he's left them in the hands of a most capable babysitter. Did it have to be Miss Miller, Dave? Hello? Anybody home? Dave has nothing to worry about. Or does he? We have people waiting around the world for $5 million in diamonds, and we can't get anyone to deliver them. Or can they? Join the chipmunks and the chipettes as they take off on an action-packed musical adventure around the world. One of my wives. Dream on, Tiny Tim. So that was 1987's uh, The Chipmunk Adventure. And uh, Paul, first impressions? Wow. That, um, hmm. I, it's hard because I still think, I still think it has merits as a movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to start. Yeah. I, I think that there are many things wrong with it. Uh, 
like faulty premise just in general <laughs> but as a story having you know three acts and <laughs> you know and and still some one-liners and like animated moments like it's it's beautifully uh the background art is beautiful the animation is a little bit stilted but it's serviceable like it's i i think it's an okay movie still <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah, the interesting thing about the animation, so the animation features some people, so this was put out by Sam, the Samuel Goldwyn company, uh, and it, a lot of the chief animators had just been poached from Disney. Disney had had a critical flop with, uh, the Black Cauldron in 1985, and so they poached a lot of the talent that had been fired by Disney, because I guess Disney was like, oh, it must be the animators' fault. It couldn't possibly be a bad story or bad advertising. Yeah, the executives m- never could have done anything wrong. I mean, it's still up to this day where DC movie after DC movie fire uh, fails and they fire the cinematographer or the art department. They don't fire the, the director and the producers who keep producing these crappy movies. So I think, obviously, the, the thing about the movie that is difficult, aside from, like, the bizarre <laughs> plot is that this is a movie about kids traveling around the world and they encounter the most stereotypical, naive visions of about six different cultures. And when it's presented to us as children, like children who have presumably never left the United States or even left their hometown, like, we have no reason to believe that this is not exactly how it is in the rest of the world. So okay, so you remembered the plot well. We have the the two quite well the the two Germans who we, the woman looks like Cruella Deville, only dressed like she's living in the eighties. Yeah, and she's it, a little bit uh, Sharon Stone, I think, in her wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also um, a little uh, let's get physical. physical. <laughs> oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh Olivia Newton John. Olivia Newton John. You're right. Um, so she's got a little bit of that going on, and then, but then, funny enough, her brother Klaus has the hair and style of Cruella Deville, and then and the, the dog hating aspect, and he of hates her. the dogs, and in the last scene, we see them driving around in a Coupe Deville, which was Cruella Deville's like signature car. So this definitely seemed like they like they all poached more than just animators from Disney. But I also want to say that somebody poached something from this movie because the room was based on that male character. <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, almost as soon as Klaus started talking, Laura's like, is that Tommy Wiseau? 100%. <laughs> it's Tommy Wiseau with Cruella DeVille's hair. That was all it was. He's like, oh, hello, Alvin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alvin, let's talk about your sex life. <laughs> you know, I just worked with Tommy Wiseau. Oh, really? How was that? It was... Uh... As one would expect, I I, I worked uh, I work frequently with this company Loot Crate, and I work as a production designer also. So I worked uh, on this commercial, and they had him be the president of the United States, uh, and it was brilliant. It was just everything one would expect from him. I would love to see Tommy Wiseau as the president. Is this out yet? Yeah, it's out. Okay, great. We'll share that. <laughs> so, um, so in the beginning, uh, so these these. Characters approach the the chipmunks and are like, "Hey, uh, help! Like, without like they recruit them to do this balloon race, but like you remember, they're secretly actually diamond smugglers." Um, <laughs> and Dave, who is normally the foil of the chipmunks, has been removed because he is going on quote unquote a business trip to Europe. Uh-huh. Uh, which again, super naive, like this idea that Europe is a place. A singular location. A singular location. Granted, we see him only in Paris. We see him in Greece, too. Oh, yeah. That's right. He's looking for a gift for his sons. Right. His somewhat sons. Yeah. So Laura brought up a good point that who is Dave to the chipmunks? Like, obviously, he's their adopted dad, not their real Yeah, is there... It, I don't know. Uh, if anyone out there knows, please, please share with us. Is there a... Um, an origin story for how about the how Dave and the chipmunks came to be together? Did he find them in a tree or something? You'd have to think, like, the episode one of that cartoon series uh, that was animated by the same animators possibly addressed this? Maybe. Yeah. But the funny thing is, the Alvin and the Chipmunks TV show had a, an original incarnation in 1962 to sort of capitalize on this music gimmick. So, like, Alvin and the Chipmunks were originally just a gimmick music act where they would take 
they would buy the rights to a popular song, re-sing it, and then speed up their singing so that they sound like high-pitched little chipmunks. And it was just a joke, like it was just a gimmick, but it sold lots of records, especially the the Christmas uh, record where they sing like Christmas, Christmas, uh, whatever that song. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they got their own cartoon show, and then this is like the rebooted cartoon show version. I think it's really interesting that, like, I'm the second generation of people that watch these movies because I didn't know that they were part of a gimmick. I thought that they were their own, uh, such as, uh, like, like the Looney Tunes or the Disney characters. I just thought they were a set of characters that were created. I didn't realize that they were created out of a specific little, like, 30-second soundbite. Which now makes a lot of sense, but it is interesting that these that this franchise was created the generation prior to us. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, for for some of for I I think our parents. You know, in this particular '80s iteration, the chipmunks are uh, two and a half feet tall and don't look very much like chipmunks at all. Yeah, and then this new this new version, the the gritty reboot, as you called it, uh, yeah. they are I believe they're smaller. Right, and I think they look more chipmunk-like. Yeah, in the in the gritty ruby, because right now they look like just little bear people. If <laughs> They're adorable, especially the chipettes. Adorable. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so we but have dance the... sexy. <laughs> yeah, and that's fascinating. And they can bend their bodies like like Gumby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the. You made a point earlier, Paul, that like the animation does waffle in quality throughout the. So the the backgrounds are always gorgeous; these beautiful print, painted backgrounds. But then the animation of the principal characters goes from and at times really great. Like with Mrs. Miller, like the the babysitter hired to watch the chipmunks when Dave is in his Europe business trip, she's like well animated and hilarious to look at. I think she's she's her characterization and her character still entertained me while I was watching. I was like, I I want to know this woman. Completely agree. But then, the, especially in the musical numbers, when the chipmunks have to move quickly, they become all rubber bodied. <laughs> I actually loved that. I thought that that was a choice, and that was really fun because it wasn't just in the music numbers; it was also in the action sequences. Um, the the ability for them to go Gumby like, which I think is a really great explanation of what this is um the ability for them to do that allowed them to like sneak out of some some uh you know some like slick situations and uh it it was it was replayed enough times the ability for them to just kind of suddenly become like taffy (laughs) that uh i really actually enjoyed that aspect paul your thoughts on the gumby like bodies of the chipmunks it's fine. I remember <laughs> I I remember specifically as a kid being weirded out sometimes by their movement. Like uh, during the snake charming number, the as the sort of we never confirmed or denied whether or not this was an Elvis song, but there was that part where Britney was singing and she looked like she was trying to do an Elvis thing with her face and I was That thought, was weird. I, that was like a young girl suddenly turned into a forty five year old <laughs> sex pot woman. Yeah. Like, yeah. like she suddenly turned into Kim Cattrall. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 So yeah, there there's like there were a couple animation choices throughout that I was like, I I don't know if this one really works. But uh I mean I, I'm behind the pixie dust that flew off of the chipette skirts as they spun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I thought it was fun after they... uh, We should get into the plot a little bit because we're starting to drop things that we haven't really touched on. But, uh, you know, when they meet the tiny Sheik Mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, he decides that Brittany will be his prize. And And one of his wives. One of his wives. And um, they... The the women of the the village, it seems, dress her in this... uh, kind of Aladdin, uh, Jasmine-style like harem, out- harem outfit. And she's in that for the rest of the movie. And every time you see her, it's sparkling. Yeah. And even when she's not moving, it's sparkling. And yeah. it's just such a funny aspect of... Um, there's nothing real about it. It fits into this surreal... There's no rules in this world. Every, nothing makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because... So they go on this balloon ride... Um, and it's strangely previewed in a arcade game that the chipmunks are playing when they are approached by Cruella Deville and Tommy Wiseau, 
and <laughs> which you pr- uh, really appropriately described as that's not an arcade, that's a jukebox. Yeah, the animation, <laughs> yeah. the animators have drawn it to look like a jukebox. Like it well, seems guys, obvious they don't know what an arcade out, like, game is. I mean, they were fired from Disney. Maybe there was a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, like the Disney goes, that's not what an arcade game that is looks not like. Not a black cauldron, guys. This movie was called the Black Cauldron. cauldron. Those are you... clearly green pots. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is a purple vase. <laughs> so. So the chipmunks and the chipettes are each given their own balloons and dolls that look like themselves, which Tommy Wiseau and Cruella DeVille were able to find those dolls very quickly. Oh, they not very only were they able to find those dolls, they were able to find those dolls and get them to locations all over the world in order for the chipmunks, this really bothered me, in order for the chipmunks to go and do the trades, if they were able to get those dolls all over the world in specific locations, why couldn't they just get the diamonds there? Right. I mean, I guess maybe they. it's possible they could have mailed empty dolls, but still, they just met the chipmunks. How do they know what they look like? Here's an idea. Uh, Alvin advertises that he is the hottest act in rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Perhaps there is merchandise of Alvin and the Chipbats uh, and the chipmunks around the world available, and that's they're just like, this will be perfect. I believe you've landed on it, Inspector I Bianchi. I love like, that explanation this is interesting because he does yeah so so alvin does mention that we're the hottest act in rock and roll and that's not something you have to worry about Brittany. he mm-hmm. says when trying to mouth off to the chipettes which um, i'm sorry she's more talented than him so i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> they have the same voices yeah. <laughs> yeah but she's got more sass okay so let's take a moment before we get in the rest of, let's talk about the chipmunks and the chipettes so with the chipmunks are alvin simon and theodore obviously alvin being the kind of uh headstrong leader type uh, and then Simon is the like reserved bookish and like has no time for this he pretty much hates being in this movie every moment (laughs) of the movie he's like I'm objecting to this I'm solidly against what we are doing but he saved everybody in the end why dumping trash oh because he's certainly the most resourceful of all six characters he also speaks uh Tribal. Yeah, all the languages. He speaks as many languages as Wonder Woman. Well, so he's a classic. So the Alvin and the Chipmunks are essentially Raphael, Donatello, and Michelangelo, and they have no leader. <laughs> There's no real Leonardo. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and we noticed this. We watched Three Ninjas, and likewise, it seems like these are some default little boy like stereotypical behaviors. There's like there's a goody two shoes leader guy. There's a goes against the grain, bad kid. There's the, like, skeptical brainiac, and then there's the party guy who eats too much. And those four character types seem to show up in every one of these movies if you have, like, a group of little boys. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so in this we have uh, Theodore, who who I think we all agreed immediately that his voice, the most falsetto of all the voices, is the one that became the most grating. Absolutely. <laughs> And he had, like, one note joke, which is that he's a fat kid that likes to eat a lot and cannot seem to get this trip to slow down long enough for him to get food. He just wants his couscous. (laughs) My couscous! I I actually, like, I feel like you should take this moment to be like, hey... Thanks, Mom, for dealing with this Oh yeah. over and over and over again. Because can you imagine as an adult if, like, those voices are the movie that your kid wants to watch every day? I remember she, specifically, she hated it. And she was <laughs> like, why do you guys want to rent this so much? And I, I watched Land Before Time and Wizard of Oz all the time as well. And that she could deal with way more than this. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is like little needles in your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. And then so the Chipettes are Brittany... Uh, uh, Brittany, Jeanette, and Eleanor. Brittany being their Alvin equivalent, Jeanette is the Simon equivalent, and Eleanor is the Theodore equivalent. And I love that they're both Roosevelt's names. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they're all pushed in a slightly different direction. I feel like Brittany's a little bit more bratty. 
Jeanette's a little bit more like Phoebe from Friends, like yeah. a little bit like she she's more weird than she is and smart. And she's much more of a beta than yeah. Simon. Yeah. Yeah, Simon Simon butts heads with Al, with Alvin all the time and Theodore takes sort of the back seat to their fights whereas yeah. Brittany is the indisputed leader of the Chipettes, mm-hmm. with both Eleanor and Jeanette being like second bananas to her. Yeah, um, and Eleanor's the like I, I'd say she's smarter than Theodore, and sweet like they're both sweet. She but has she's, a heart of gold. Yeah, uh-huh. she decided to smuggle a baby penguin out of an evil regime. And take them off course thousands of miles to return him to his family. In yeah. a subplot that I could do entirely without. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get to that. So uh, really, this, the episodes in this movie... So the, the episodes in this movie can be talked about completely out of order. But suffice to say, the Chipmunks and the Chipettes start heading off to very stereotypical, naive visions of different countries. And at one point, the Chipettes find themselves in Egypt where a bunch of mixed metaphors start happening, and there's, like, there's, like, Arab uh, slash Persian images all over the place. There's some Indian influence. Um, But there's clearly pyramids and a sphinx, so they're supposed to be in Egypt. And they get kidnapped by the minions of this boy, Sheik, who's, like... uh, Their age. Who's their age, and has determined that Brittany will be his one of his new wives... In ten years, in when ten he's years. able to marry. Right. Yes. And as a bridal gift, gives her a baby penguin, as you mentioned, with a locket. And in the locket is a picture of the baby penguin with its mom and dad. And he's, like, so sad from the second that he sees them. Because they abducted him from his family. And they have, in, they have imbued him with, like, a... With, with human emotions. Well, and, and, and I, think I loved it. You loved it so much. But I think... I, I don't think it was a good part of the movie. <laughs> but I think that just in and of itself, that would have been a great little TV TV episode. I think, though, that the part that was most jarring was the idea that the penguins got a candid photo. Yes, absolutely. Likely by, from another penguin who had a camera. <laughs> and of course, so we need to mention here that this is a, the, the world of Alvin and the Chipmunks as presented in this movie is a world very similar to our own where humans dominate the planet and there are cultures of humanity all over the place with the exception of the fact that there are six children who are chipmunk-human hybrids running around. And penguins live in human-style conditions. They live in igloos, but otherwise the penguins look like penguins. There's there's nothing human-like about them other than the fact that they apparently have cameras capable of taking pictures and putting stuff in lockets, and they all live in igloos. And with, they give cradles to their babies. Yeah, cradles for yeah. beds. But otherwise, we see, like, Sophie the dog, which behaves like a dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a cartoon yeah. dog, but still... She barks, she wears a leash, and that sort of thing. Well, I mean, I think you can just come down to the fact that this movie uh, doesn't doesn't have any specific world rules. <laughs> that and is one hundred percent true. That's the that's the space where the uh, the break comes from enjoying this as a child and not being able to fully like know what you're dealing with as an adult because we we want to understand the world. Whereas with your kid, you're like, I have a four minute attention span. This song is awesome. Yeah. You know, that's all you got. And so I don't think it matters that it doesn't have a world, but it is very clear that there is no world building in this whatsoever. It's just whatever it wants to be, whenever it wants to be. It is a forceful suspension of disbelief. Here's what I've always wanted to know, too, is the Chipettes wear clothing. Mm -hmm. The Chipmunks wear turtleneck long sleeve shirts and sneakers only. They might wear shorts underneath. <laughs> we never see we never see them pull their shirts up, so we don't know what's under their shirts. Well, we do when we see uh, the chipmunks in loincloths later. We see that they have bodies clearly underneath. Oh, true. <laughs> yeah. So actually, uh, you bring that up. That's actually something that I only realized now bothered me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one scene. I've always known that the chipmunks wear these long shirt things, and in my head, that's a nightgown. Uh-huh. However. When we see them in the morning and they're eating breakfast, they are all in onesies with pant legs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I just always thought And that Theodore they, looks adorable in his onesie. He does. <laughs> yeah. He really does. The little does. butterball. They yeah. call him a butterball like four times. Uh-huh. He is a butterball. Uh-huh. But no, it's it's it was very jarring for me to realize that these were not 
like their sleeping clothes because I just thought that they would sleep in the same thing that they that they lived it, in. It is one of those weird sort of like when Donald Duck gets out of the bath out of the bath, he puts a towel around his waist. Right. It's a sort of like weird logic that of course you would take off what looks like a comfy nightgown to put on a onesie pajama to go to sleep when you're a chipmunk. <laughs> Speaking of clothes, so um, in a completely different episode, the Chipettes land in uh, the Bahamas or in Bermuda after encountering a hurricane and they <laughs> climb out of the basket and they are all nearly naked. Mm-hmm. Their clothes have been torn to shreds. And again, this was are... their this was their maiden voyage. It was their very first thing they landed on. They got hit it's in a hurricane. It's also the worst the worst thing that happened to them. They get hit they get hit by a hurricane, all their clothes get ripped off, and then they go underwater and Brittany almost gets eaten by a shark. And by almost gets eaten by a shark, I mean she's in his maw. Yeah. <laughs> and this was actually a moment, uh, Paul, if you wanted to talk about, like, the moment that you observed here with the shark attack. Oh, oh, about uh, the, the sweetness afterwards yeah, yeah. that I just talked about? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we, we had just finished discussing how um, uh, rude Brittany is to her companions and how there is this nice tenderness that they, that they show. And I think that's a nice thing for kids to see in in movies is like look they these are sisters and they care for each other and they both help uh Jeanette and Eleanor help Brittany back up to the surface by uh sharing their breathing apparatus on the way up and it's nice yeah it, yeah it's interesting that uh like we were talking about so the chipettes are like one alpha with two beta sidekicks whereas the chipmunks feel like two brothers with differing ideologies butting heads and Theodore just kind of tagging along for the ride. And so it is interesting in that scene to, to, for like Brittany to be humbled and realize like how, how helpful and useful her sisters are to have around. So the chipmunks and the chipettes cross paths in Greece. And that leads to, I think definitely the best, most memorable musical number. The dance off. They have a dance-off at the Parthenon, essentially. Yeah. And I remember watching it. So the Chipettes and the Chipmunks sing the girls and boys of rock and roll uh, to each other. And there's like a suddenly like a rave is going on, a, a <laughs> rave of six with just them. And they're like dancing and there's some sexy dancing, which is weird. <laughs> it's a they lot have, of They weird. thrust crotches at each other. Yeah. Yeah. And the chipmunks and chipettes cannot be possibly, they're not supposed to be any older than like 11, right? Like they be, they're behaving like between nine and 11 years old. But how old do chipmunks live? So what does that equate to? Oh, good Whoa. question. <laughs> Are these like live fast, die chipmunks? young? Chipmunks yeah. do it well. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Um, so they're doing the boys and girls of rock and roll, and I remember watching it, and I triggered a memory from when I was a little kid, and that was watching the scene and thinking, "Man, you can just go into the ruins of these places." Because at one point, Alvin grabs a harp out of the hands of a statue and just starts playing on it. And as a little kid, I thought, "There's ruins just to be explored and walked through all the time." Like I. I the movie presents a world in which they're called ruins because I can go ruin them. Right, the movie presents a world where there is no security or process to protect ancient sites, and that you can just wander into them in the middle of the night and have a dance off with your rivals. So I'm gonna. I went to Greece uh, a couple years ago with my dad for his 60th birthday, and you had uh, a dance off. I didn't have a dance off, but ruins are so much everywhere in Greece that there's actually some truth to this. Really? Like I went to uh, the Isle of Spinalonga on Greece. It's a Venetian uh, ruin. And I was walking around just on ruins, like climbing on top of stuff. And I was watching history crumble away at my feet and then at my hands and thinking, this is not going to last long forever. And I remember asking a tour guide at uh, Knossos, like, why isn't there security here? And why can people just touch these ruins? And they're like, we have no money. We can't, we don't have money to protect these sites. And so, I don't know. I don't know if the chipmunks were thinking about that when they were making their dance-off movie, but <laughs> it is sort of a sad truth of, uh, truth about Greece is that, yeah, you can just walk around on their ruins and destroy them. Whoa. Uh, this mean, is luckily, not to be construed that Do I Still Have It encourages the destruction of ruins. But if you <laughs> are inside of an animated world, go for it. Totally have a dance-off. Yeah. 
<laughs> so they have a dance off during which all sorts of improbable things happen, and then they're off on their way again. Uh, and then at one point, our chipmunks, the boys, are flying over Fiji when, or, or they've stopped in Fiji, and Theodore gets kidnapped by essentially he- like Fijian headhunters. And that begins in a movie filled with, you know, very questionable racial stereotypes. It becomes definitely the most hard to watch sequence. And that is the sacrificing Theodore scene where they want to sacrifice Theodore because it's apparently part of some prophecy that, of course, Simon can read because he's a brainiac. Because he is the Prince of Plenty. Right. So they are plumping him up. To sacrifice him at the full moon. To and some crocodiles. Was, to some crocodiles. And this was only found out because Simon read literally the writing on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they had made that joke. I know. No, instead they made a uh, I before you except after C joke, which now escapes me. But, but it the was... weird thing was, I swear he said I before E except after T. After teeth. Because so, so if you looked on the thing, it was an image of an eye uh-huh. before eat. Yeah. There was a mouth eating food, except after teeth, and then there was like a teeth. Uh, it was a terrible string of puns, and it would have been much better if they had made a writing on the wall joke. Mm-hmm. I should have written It's this. like <laughs> such a groaner that like every part of me groaned. And there was like a delay afterwards, like... Wait for laugh. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. Like, let's make sure we put a laughter break in there. This is going to slay those kids. Yeah. And instead, it slayed only the grandpas in the audience. (sighs) Mm. Uh, And even that, I think, is throwing grandpas under the bus. Um, But so they plan to sacrifice... They plan to sacrifice Theodore, and Alvin tries to bargain with them by trying to give them all of their stuff, during which time he says things like, you take them big wampum from us. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Now you're even just mixing your racism. Like, <laughs> of course, the the natives just take all of their stuff and then proceed to try and sacrifice them anyway. Um, and during which scene, they're like, hey, would you like us to sing a song for you as we're about to die? And the leader of the pygmies, or the Fijians, says... For them to sing Wooly Bully, but he says it like Worry Bully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they start singing Wooly Bully, uh, and then they get rescued by the Chipettes, who miraculously, through absolutely no, like, complete deus ex machina, there's no explanation for why <laughs> they would be, because they're coming back from Antarctica, where they dropped off Penguin with the locket in his Penguin Village. They just miraculously fly over the very specific Fijian island and over the sacrificial pit. I disagree with you. Okay. In the scene prior, the last time we see them, they they realize because those because those big bad dudes are after them, and they like a doll gets ripped open, and they realize that they have the cash and they have the diamonds, and the they say realize. the chipettes realize, and they say, "Oh no! If we're in trouble, I bet they're in trouble too. We need to save them." And then the girls go save them. No, now, I don't know how they know they're that's in Fiji. But it's not completely out of nowhere. Okay, that second, was there. I have a second theory to offer here. Okay. okay. Uh, rodents have been <laughs> chronicled as having very good radar to finding each other's, like, nest and their family. So perhaps the chipettes and the chip chipmunks have, like, very good, like, find each other radar. They're on, like, a little bit of Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. Like, like, connected by their pheromones. Right. Or, <laughs> yeah. like, maybe just inherently Jeanette can find Simon anywhere. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Theodore can find Eleanor anywhere. Um, and luckily they do, because the the boys are literally about to get eaten by crocodiles when the Chipettes save them with their miraculous monster strength. <laughs> they are somehow able to... The three Chipettes are able to haul up the three boys, plus the wooden stakes they are tied to, plus for a short time, the, like... Island, island, mound, yeah, earth and mound. That the yeah, it's insane. More weird cartoon logic. Um, so the movie closes with the 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 chipmunks and chipettes landing at LAX. They're just walking around in the tarmac, as is Cruella Deville and Tommy Wiseau. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when 
Dave and Mrs. Miller and this FBI agent who's really unimportant. They all show up. Bad guys get foiled. Movie credits roll. Quite quickly, yes. So what do you think? Would you Was this movie appropriate viewing for you when you were a kid? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's really tough because there's so many movies that, like, in a way, I feel like there's, like, a lot of movies now that, like, people try to, like, shelter their kids. And there's just, like, really dumb, like, super soft uh, films and I and I feel like that's really weird because I, I on one hand I do think it's like yes don't teach your kids to be racist and there are also movies that where things happen that that sort of challenge uh, kids a little bit I think that like watching that sequence with the the girls of rock and roll song performed by them. I watched that and rocked out to that as a, as a six and seven year old thinking like this is cool. Like, and it's totally not, but, (laughs) but then I thought it was really cool. And, and I think it sort of maybe awakened in something in me, like a, a love of, of mixing musical and comedy, which I, which I do often. Like, I love that part where he, where Alvin grabs Britney's hand and swings her in the dance and her back heel, like, while no one notices, like who's dancing, they just hit the bad guys in the face and knocks them down the stairs. And they, I sort of still love that um, that style of humor. The oblivious hero is funny to me. And there's a lot of oblivious heroics in this. Uh, at one point... I would say this movie is almost completely ob- oblivious, oblivious heroics. heroics. Yeah, because at one point they go to Mexico City and Alvin doesn't realize he's dropped the doll. And then a series of hacky sack moves by all the people marching in the annual fiesta parade manages to get it kicked back into his hat, and he then puts his hat on, none the wiser that he almost lost the whole reason they came to Mexico. After a woman gets comically groped. Right. (laughs) And thankfully slaps him right across the face. Slaps him to the fucking ground. (laughs) And he is still reeling when he gets helped up by some other people. It took two men to pull him back off the ground after she fucking decked him (laughs) in her palm. So, I mean, that's good messaging. Do not grab people in the butt. They will be justified in turning around and slapping the stupid out of you. Yeah. Uh, You know, this movie is called The Chipmunk Adventure, and it really is an adventure. Like, Laura made the comment, I wonder if anybody saw this movie and decided, I want to travel the world, and did so as a result of this movie. There's this whole big montage about 20, 25 minutes into the movie where they they start off and, like, they get through their first uh, they get through their first trial and tribulation and then we speed up and we get kind of through the meat of their trip and it's showing all the cool places and all over the world and, and there was something bizarrely inspiring about the way it was animated the way it was done the way it was like we're in this together we're seeing the world like as you know, as a team. And they sing a great song, too, about yeah. seeing, the, seeing the world that yeah. has a bit of an adventurous spirit to the song. Yeah, I think the exact lyrics were, hey, don't you know that we're going to see the world? Hey, yeah. Don't you know? Don't you know? <laughs> um, of course, then, like, during the montage, so they're they're handing off bags of diamonds to people at Machu Picchu, uh-huh. and, like, what are diamond smugglers doing up at a historic site that, you know, in a three-day hike up a mountain, like, what are they doing up there? Why don't they just fly into, like, you know, Clearly you Bogota know nothing about diamond smuggling. I, it's true. I am no expert on diamond smuggling. And clearly you know nothing about children's movies, because they just were like, oh, we want to do a movie about them traveling the world. How can we do that? Ah, obviously, diamond smuggling. <laughs> do you think I mean, the, it's the first place I would have jumped to. Do you think the animators were like, you know, we have to travel to these places to draw these things, you know, get a free you know, trip out I of it? I really hope that they yeah. were. Well, like, uh, so our, the very first foreign city that we see is Mexico City, and it is beautifully animated. Until they land, and there's a massive sombrero taco stand. Yes, mm. that is true. But the but other than that, but other than that, like the but but the um, there are clearly recognizable landmarks yeah. from from Mexico City and the 
the kind of art style of Mexico City is presented in like luscious realism. Uh, and that sort of thing we see at Machu Picchu, we see when they fly over the pyramids, we see when they're in Greece. And so, yeah, again, the background animation in this is gorgeous. It could fill an art book. Yeah. It's just the weird art of the weird little chipmunk-human hybrids running around. Um, but, you know, like, so they did remake the Chipmunks movie, and it uh, or the, chipmunk, the Chipmunks have now been rebooted with the CGI live-action thing. But if you had to remake this movie, what sort of changes would you have made? Because I think it would be interesting to have still have had this worldwide adventure, but then have more genuine, like, uh, authentic sort of adventures tied to the various places they go to. Mm. I think that, like, maybe I would have ditched the whole diamond smuggling exchange and just made it a race. And perhaps it's a race because Klaus and Claudia are not brother and sister, but they're married. And they're like, hey, whoever gets, whoever's team wins gets more money in the divorce proceedings or something. And it's just, <laughs> and it's just some, like, psycho rich person wager, uh, which it already is. But now, I don't know, we, we can do without some things uh that just you can uh, do without the organized crime is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah uh yeah because i think that that you'd still be able to see the world and maybe there were there are still checkpoints so that they can like keep track of them but it's, you know just it's the amazing race yeah uh, right. yeah i wonder if this inspired the amazing race i think so <laughs> i really hope so <laughs> Well, I guess that sort of brings us around to our title question, Do I Still Love It? Paul Bianchi. Yeah, I still love it. It's, uh, I, I, I wouldn't love it if I saw it for the first time, but the, it still taps into nostalgia and the, I think the good outweighs the bad. Laura Weiss? I am going to go with a mixed bag on this one. And the reason that pushes it over is really like the chipettes. We haven't touched on this too much. Please. But a very important piece about the chipettes that I'm realizing really stuck with me is that this was a franchise that created equals. Those girls could do anything the boys could do. And it was never... They're... They're... Their femaleness was very rarely used against them, um, and they ended up saving them in the end. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that never once is the, ugh, but you're girls. Yeah. Like, there's never any of that, or there's never any, like, oh, we can't have the Chipettes go on this adventure, it's too dangerous for no, girls. No, it was, it was a full-on, it was full-on, these girls are girls only, and that they're girls, but they can be whatever they want. Yeah, and it is kind of interesting that even though... They are, you know, corollaries of the chipmunks themselves, like you like you pointed out. They are different than them, even if they maybe fill similar roles within their trio. Like, it'd be one thing if Eleanor just also ate all the time and, like, was a screw-up like Theodore, but she isn't. She's, like, a sweetheart who is really compassionate and cares about people a lot, you know? She reminds me of Rebel Wilson still. Like, I, dis- I discovered that while I watched uh, her thing. It's, it's something about the blonde hair and the dark eyebrows and and just her face. Yeah. Big eyes. Marshall, uh, do you still love it? It's hard. Uh, I love all the characters in this movie. From Mrs. Miller, I love the Tommy Wiseau and Cruella de Vil. Like, they are hilarious, entertaining villains. And the the six, the six chipmunks are really enjoyable protagonists. And the uh, the adventure of the world is cool. I guess what it is is I like it, but I completely accept that it's problematic, kind of from start to finish, which uh. is the cloud that sits over it. It's great characters, beautiful animation, and a very problematic story with even more problematic depictions of non-Americans. Um, so... While I don't really want to see this movie anymore, I would love to see the Chipmunks anymore. So I will say I do not still love it, mm. but I do like the characters and look forward to revisiting them. I think it could make an excellent drinking game. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, are the, what are the drinking this. rules? 
Um, I haven't figured out what the roles are yet, but there's something I, I found to be incredibly enjoying, enjoyable w- watching it with you. Um, and I also, I have no desire to ever watch it by myself again, <laughs> but I do think that it would be a fun experience to share with either someone who's never seen it again or someone like you guys who saw it maybe once in their childhood. Uh, I don't know. It's funny. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for suggesting that we do The Chipmunks of Bitch. I'm very glad that we watched it. This is definitely one of yeah. those movies that I had fond memories of, that this is the sort of movie that we wanted to revisit for this show. So thank you to writer Paul Bianchi. Paul, what sort of projects have you been involved with that you'd like to plug? Oh, well, I also do a podcast uh, as part of uh, Dragon Wagon Radio, uh, which is a whole network of podcasts from my best friend uh, Jake's podcast, Elaborate, which is just a, you know, people dialogue, talking interview sort of experience to the one that I host with my other best friend, uh, Sarah Oliver. Uh, Sarah has always professed to me that she loves Greek mythology and she has never studied it. So uh, she decided, hey, tell me about Greek mythology episode by episode. We have new episodes releasing every other Wednesday. What's uh, it called? It's called Myth Understood. And you can, Great name. Great name. Yeah, we love a good pun. Or I love a good pun. Sarah groans at a good pun. And uh, yeah, you can follow that. Uh, it's underscore Myth Understood on... Twitter, which we hardly use, and Instagram, which we use a little bit more. And uh, yeah, and it's just, a, and it's probably just like your show. It's just like on uh, Stitcher and iTunes and everywhere you can listen to podcasts. So great. Well, we'll put a link to that on the show notes. Uh, you can find us at Do I Still Love It on the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook and all over the place. Also, please write to us, do I still love it at gmail.com, especially if you started traveling the world after watching the Chipmunks Adventure. Um, also, if you know the origin story of how Dave came to be the guardian of the chipmunks, we also want to know. Get at us on the internet. Also, uh, what's his love life like? You know, he did remind me quite a bit of, like, John from Garfield. Yeah. And I was like, is he just a sad man who talks to his pets all the time? Maybe he's John's boyfriend. <gasps> Aww. I would love to see a Garfield chipmunks world crossover yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean it doesn't uh is it myrtle the the other cat doesn't he mail her to antarctica oh i'm sure he probably did i'm pretty sure he mails garfield mails the cat the little black kitty he doesn't like normal normal yeah and i'm pretty sure he mails her to antarctica so I'm pretty sure that cat lives with the penguins. <laughs> In their little penguin igloos. Yeah. Maybe she took the picture. She took the picture. That's how the camera got to Antarctica. Bam, bam, We bam. solved it. <laughs> Thanks, Garfield. <laughs> well, all right. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to rate and review us on iTunes or the Google Play Store and share the show with a friend. That's uh, We'd really greatly appreciate it. So for Do I Still Love It, I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. Saying uh, good night. Good night, everybody. everybody.